Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 today. Matthew chapter 9. And again, if you're in Auditorium 2 or if you're watching online, maybe you're joining us by television or by podcast. Um, so glad that you are here with us all today. Isn't life crazy? The, the way, I mean, let's, let's just be, we're family, we always said that, right? The way we just, we celebrated this morning baptisms and then we just did whatever that was. And life has its ups and downs, right? Things you plan and then surprises. Things you go, well, that's not how I thought it was gonna go. And sometimes it's just really good for us to be honest about those things. That's a part of why we're, we're gonna walk through this next series that we're calling Family Tree. What we're, we're gonna look at is the, the family tree, if you will, or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's in Matthew chapter one, and we're gonna look at it there, and it's important because I, I, I talked about this a little bit on Easter Sunday, and I kind of joked, but if you shake the family tree, I know if you shake my family tree, it's fruits, flakes, and nuts that come out of it, <laughs> right? Does anybody have a crazy uncle? We had, a, we had a guy, not you, John, but we had a guy sitting right there, you guys sitting right there Thursday night that when I said, does anybody have a crazy uncle? He goes, I'm him. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, all right. Don't we all have somebody that when you, when you look back at your family tree, it's like, oh, we don't, we don't really talk about them. We got the black sheep. I've got the family members whose lives would have looked a lot differently if it hadn't been for addiction and what it did in their lives. We don't talk about the family member that did the stint in prison. Like those are things that we don't necessarily talk about or communicate about. And I think we all have those in our backgrounds, in our lineage, in our family tree. And the beauty of what we'll look at in Matthew chapter one is that Jesus had some real characters on his ancestry.com as well. And yet in all those stories, we're reminded that it's in our brokenness that God brings healing, then when we look at our past, present, and future, when you connect it to Jesus, he can use it for great things. And can I tell you, I'm just stoked to see what God is going to do through this series of messages in restoring some things in our hearts. So we're gonna take a look at this idea of family tree. But before we look at those stories, I have to tell you three other stories. Like there's stories we've gotta set up before we can look at the stories in Matthew chapter one. So here's today's message. If I had to title it, it'd be three stories, one savior. We're gonna look at three stories about one savior and here's the first story we're gonna look at today. Story number one is Jesus' story. It's the story of Jesus, arguably the most important person who ever lived, agreed? Like we're gonna look at the story of Jesus. And here's how I want you just to kinda, just kinda snapshot it for you today, that the story of Jesus is here, there, and everywhere. That the story of Jesus Christ is here, story is there, and that story is everywhere. What do you mean by here, Chad? I mean it's right there in front of us. Like it's a history that we come back to over and over again. It's a story that we know and a story that we tell. And it's, it's, it's the most transformational story that has ever been known. I mean, we're just a few weeks out from when we came together to remember his crucifixion, to celebrate his resurrection. It is an amazing 
story. For centuries, this story has been summed up, if you will, in creeds or documents that we use to tell that story. Probably the most famous of those is what we refer to as the Apostles' Creed that goes back to the early centuries of the church and has has been consistent. Here's how this sums up this story of Jesus. If we say his story is here, the Apostles' Creed says this, that I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's a pretty good summary, isn't it? Of an extraordinary life that is right here in front of us. We celebrate Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate Christmas, or we celebrate Jesus at Easter, but we celebrate him forever because that story is right here. It's available to us. But the story of Jesus is not just here. Let me also share with you that the story of Jesus, his story is there. It's right there in scripture. And it's a story that's there for us to learn from and to let it impact our lives when we talk about the life and the story of Jesus. Okay, are you ready? You didn't know this when you walked in today, but it's time for a pop quiz. Take out a piece of paper and write your name at the top. Does anybody remember those? I'm just kidding about the pop quiz, but did anybody feel sick when I said that? Pop quiz, I didn't study. You're good on this one. Okay, are you ready? In the Bible, there are four books in the New Testament that were written as biographies of Jesus. They tell the story of the life of Jesus. They're the first four books of the New Testament, and we refer to those books as the four gospels. See, you were ready. You studied. You got it. There's four of them. They're named after the individuals who wrote them. I'll, I'll help you out here. The first one is Matthew. After Matthew, you've got Matthew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Awesome. Okay, so you're ready. You passed the test. That's where we get the story of Jesus, and it's there in those Gospels. It's a powerful thing to look at these things. Now, now, each one of the Gospels looks at things a little bit differently. Now, they all overlap, if you will, and tell many of the same stories. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we refer to as the synoptic Gospels because they're layered over top of each other. They have very similar outlines. They tell a lot of the same stories. And then the Gospel of John, John just kind of wrote his in a whole different kind of style and in a whole different way. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you ever hear the term synoptic Gospels, and then John is kind of his own Gospel, and sometimes people say, well, if they're all telling the same story, why don't they tell it the same way? Sometimes they even tell things a little bit differently. So how do we know that they're true? If I put four of you on different corners and you all watch the same traffic accident, would you remember some things differently than somebody on a different corner? Because you had a different point of view. Well, when you read the Gospels, each one of those authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, are standing on different street corners watching the life of Jesus And they tell that story not just based on their perspective, but also based on the people that God intended for them to reach as they wrote those gospels. So each one of them gives us like a little bit of a hint as to why they wrote their gospel. They're all about the life of Jesus. They're all so that we can know him. But Mark says this, Mark chapter one, verse one, he calls his book the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the son of God. He calls this the good news. When we use the word gospel, to talk about the the teachings of Jesus or to talk about the truths in scripture, the word gospel actually means good news. And so Mark is a story, he tells us a story of good news. 
Luke says a little bit different. Luke chapter one, when he starts his story, he says, now many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Sounds like the opening of a documentary, doesn't it? He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus sounds like an ingredient in toothpaste, doesn't it? Now with Theophilus, it's got that kind of ring to it. Who's Theophilus? Why are we talking about him? Well, scholars believe that Theophilus was a, was a guy in the church who probably was wealthy, who decided that they needed a good historical account of what had happened. And most likely, he was the one who sponsored, he was a patron, he most likely bankrolled Luke's studies so that Luke could be a historian, so that he could travel, so that he could interview people and historically find the story of Jesus. Theophilus does this twice. He does it in the book of Luke's. You'll also see his name at the beginning of the book of Acts because Luke wrote both of those books, Luke and Acts, and Theophilus most likely sponsored Luke to write these books. Why? Verse four, so that, it tells us, you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke says, I'm writing this for this reason. Luke gives a history of the life of Jesus so that you will know that that story is true, that that story matters, that you can believe it. Which gets down to why John wrote his gospel. At the end of the gospel of John, John writes this, John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He says, look, I'm writing these stories because these stories will help you to believe, and if you believe, you'll have life. John tells us that there is life if we believe. So what we have when you put these gospels together is that the story of Jesus in scripture is a true story of the good news of life for those who believe. The story of Jesus is this true story of the good news that there is life for those who believe. And it's a life that you and I can know and we can find and we can trust it. So his story is here in front of us. His story is right there in scripture. And I wanna encourage you, his story is here, there, and his story is everywhere. The story of the most important man who ever lived. One of my favorite books is a book called Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. And Ortberg does a deep dive in this book. And we'll probably quote this book several times in this series. He, he does a deep dive into the impact of the life of Jesus on the history of humanity. And in his introduction, he gives a, a few examples. One of the things that he talks about is how oftentimes for people to kind of claim their immortality, great leaders, they would name places after themselves. So Alexander had the city of Alexandria and Caesar had cities named Caesarea. But when Jesus lived, it says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't even have a home. And yet Ortberg says this, he, he says that he lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is named after a guy named Francis who was a follower of Jesus. He says the state capital in California is named Sacramento, which is named after the Last Supper, which is known as the Sacraments. Ortberg says, I can't even look at a map without thinking about this man. Another interesting that he points out is that oftentimes 
regimes of powerful leaders would try to determine history based on the dates when they lived. They would try to change the calendar. So you see this multiple times. Roman emperors would try to date time based on their lives. This happened during the French Revolution. It happened in the USSR based on the fall of the czar. They tried to change the whole calendar to measure it out against history in those times. But if you just think about it, the history that you and I live by pivots on the life of Jesus Christ, does it not? Before Christ and then AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, that very division, even if you change it to BCE and Common Era like we wanna try to do, we still can't ignore the fact that it's the life of Jesus that becomes the dividing line in history, true? One other thing Ortberg says is that oftentimes what happens in history is that great rulers want other people to be named after them and their followers. They will try to historically have their name be carried on so that other people will be named after them. But I, I gotta read this quote because I, I just love what he says here. He says, but today, the names of Caesar and Nero, a couple of great Roman emperors, the names of Caesar and Nero are used, if at all, for pizza parlors, dogs, and casinos. <laughs> While the name in Jesus' book have lived on and on. So I wanna read this last part because I just think this is fascinating. Ortberg says the quickest and most basic mental health assessment, like if somebody's gonna try to assess if you're in your right mind, people check for what's called oriented times three. There's questions they ask, whether someone knows who they are, if they know where they are, and if they know what day it is to see if you're oriented in those three ways. Ortberg says, if you asked me those three questions, I would say, I was given the name of Jesus' friend, John. I live in the Bay Area named for Jesus' friend, Francis, and I was born 1,957 years after Jesus. How much more could the orientation in my life be centered around one man? Jesus Christ and his story is here and it's there and it's everywhere. And we can't escape his impact. His greatest life who ever lived and it's the story of Jesus Christ. Why tell it? One reason, because if that story is so great, don't, think you, don't you think you and I should be telling it too? And also, if that story is so great, I don't wanna let it get old. One of my big concerns through the, these teachings that we're gonna do the next few weeks is that for you and I that have known the story of Jesus forever, where it's become commonplace to us, that we wouldn't let that relationship with the greatest person who ever lived become just commonplace or boring or cold in our lives, but that through our exploration of the life of Christ, we would come to know him in a whole new way. What are we trying to do today? I wanna to tell you three stories about one savior. The first story is Jesus' story. Here's the second story. Story number two is this. We'll call this one Matthew's story. Matthew's story. Did you notice that when we walked through the gospels a few moments ago, we talked about Mark, Luke, and John, but we never came to Matthew? Did anybody notice that? Or did I just wake you up? Did anybody notice that? Here's the reason why. We didn't talk about Matthew there because we're gonna be talking about Matthew for a long time. We're, we're uh, for several years now, honestly, I felt in my spirit that I wanted to do a deep dive into the life of Jesus. Like I've preached about Jesus a lot over the years, 
but I've never like really systematically worked my way through teaching through one of the gospels. We've taught a lot about Jesus, but not kind of working our way through. And it's something I've wanted to do. We've done that through other books, Old Testament books like Ecclesiastes. We've done that through different of the epistles in the New Testament. We, we did that with the book of Acts. Was, was anybody here when we did the book of Acts for 45 years? Does anybody remember that? Like we were in Acts for a long time. So, so I was thinking and praying about this and I was like, I felt like the Lord was saying, like kind of just kind of a release, if you will, that it was a good time for us to focus on the life of Christ as a church, take a deep systematic dive into one of the gospels and really felt led that that gospel that we were to look at was the gospel of Matthew. I mean, if I'm honest with you, what, what I kind of sensed in my spirit was that the Lord said, okay, take Matthew and Chad, preach the book of Matthew and preach it slow like, don't try to rush through this because it's good for you to take a really deep look at the life of Jesus and how it might change your life. Well, how, how long are we gonna be in Matthew, Pastor? I don't know. <laughs> well, Chad, are we gonna make it all the way through Matthew? Maybe. I just know we won't be done by Christmas. <laughs> like, like, we're gonna be here for a while. But I'm stoked, I'm excited, like, like looking at it, laying it out, I'm, I'm really excited about working our way through Matthew. One of the things that's interesting about the Gospels is the Gospels never say who wrote them. Like the letters that were sent, Paul sent his letters and he says, I, Paul, write this. Peter said, I wrote this letter. John said, I wrote this letter. James says, I wrote this letter. Like they put their names in there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't put their names in these Gospels, it's interesting. We kind of just know from the, the trail and the clues in history who wrote which gospel. And Matthew's story is an interesting one. It's probably the most complete of the gospels in the sense that he, he really mixes an emphasis on both teaching from Jesus, actually some unique teachings from Jesus, as well as a, a, a catalog of his miracles, his healings, the stories, and the things that Jesus did, the interactions that he had with other people. And so I'm excited because of how complete a story of Jesus will have. Now, I'm sure we'll, in this process, we'll pull from Mark and Luke, the other synoptics. We'll pull from John and John's unique perspective from his street corner. But part of why Matthew is so right for us as a church right now, can I, can I, can I like nerd out for a couple of minutes? Like I start reading commentaries about why Matthew probably wrote his gospel. Do you remember when you were in school, they said when you write something, it should have a purpose? Does anybody remember that? When you would write something? I remember it because I would get papers back that said, Chad, this paper has no purpose. <laughs> well, why did Matthew write? What were his purposes? Well, I started studying his purposes and here what I saw, the gospel of Matthew reinforces our values as a church. Like the season we're in right now as a church, and I started reading, why did Matthew write his gospel? It really fit where we're at as a church. I wanna, I wanna kind of run through this just super quick, but if you know our values as a church, we've shared this in the past, we kind of have core values, or, or we call them our roots, that it's, we put God first, that people are the priority. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for people. That healthy things grow, we believe in discipleship, and we get to do this. Like, we don't have to come to church. We don't have to serve Jesus. We get to do this, right? I mean, that's an awesome thing. So when I started to kind of do a deep dive, actually, you, you see this in our logo. If, you, if you've seen our new logo, the Calvary Church, and we explained this a while back, you got the, you got the two circles, and you're like, well, there's a little gap there. It's because they're C's for Calvary Church. Clever, huh? And then we got a cross in the center, 
because our name is Calvary. It's the place where Jesus died. The cross is at the very center of humanity, isn't it? It's what it's all about. And then each one of these quadrants then represents one of those uh, values for us, those roots that, that we put God first, people are the priority, healthy things grow. We get to do this, so you see that there. And some of you have seen that, and, and you, you've got some of the new like merch that we have, you know, the T-shirts or sweatshirts that we have, and you see some people wearing those. And if you wear them when you're out in public, just be good, okay? <laughs> I was wearing my hoodie the other day, and I, I had to go into a healthcare facility, and I was wearing a, you still have to wear a mask, so I'm going in, in, in disguised, I think, right? And I'm talking to this lady as I was kind of checking in and all of a sudden her eyes got real big through her mask and she looks at me and she goes, you're the pastor there. And I'm like, I'm the pastor where? <laughs> oh yeah, there. <laughs> this is right there. So just be good if you're wearing it, okay? But those values are reinforced through the things we're gonna read about. Let me show you real quick. Matthew tells us a story about God's great plan. Matthew's gonna tell us a story about God's great plan from the very first verse. Look at this, Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Before he even tells us one detail about Jesus himself's life, he reaches into the Old Testament and he says, I'm gonna connect this story to history. I'm gonna go back to the very beginning because God didn't just make this up. He backed it up. This story is about God's great plan. Matthew's gonna show this to us 99 times in his gospel. He will quote from the Old Testament. He's gonna tie together what God said in the past to what God was doing in the life of Jesus 99 times. That's more than Mark, Luke, and John combined use the Old Testament. So it's important there. Why does it matter? Because sometimes I've just gotta know that my life is anchored to something. Sometimes I just gotta know that God has a plan for my life. Sometimes I just need to know that there's something I can trust we put God first in our values because we have a God who has a great plan who we can trust in a world that's going crazy, true? A guy who, who he is self-identified as an atheist whose name is Jonathan Haidt wrote an article recently and I love the title. Here's the title. Quote, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. Isn't that an interesting title? Here's his point. He says that over the last 10 years, as we've watched what happened globally, as we've watched what has happened politically, and he says largely due to the influence of social media, as a nation, in so many ways, we have, we have lost our common sense. And there are things that just don't make sense that we're stressing, fretting, and concerned about. And he actually uses biblical arguments to prove his point. And he says, we need to reinforce and rebuild our institutions. He says, we need to change some of the patterns of how we think. He says, we need to wake up and think about the things that we're doing and the ways that they're affecting our children and future generations. I agree with everything he's saying. And you know where I think all those things get answered? When I reach back and I anchor my life to the word of God. God has a great plan, but it only makes sense if I connect it to him. Does that make sense? So Matthew's gonna help us to do that. He's gonna tell us a story of God's great plan. The other thing Matthew's gonna do is Matthew is gonna tell us a story about salvation through Jesus. Matthew tells us a story of salvation through Jesus because people are the priority. One of the very first things that Matthew says to us, quoting from the Old Testament and talking to us about Jesus, when, he, when the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, your fiance's pregnant. It's not yours. I know you're freaking out. But God did this. 
And then he says this, Matthew 1, 21, he says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The very first thing we find out about Jesus, and it runs through this whole book, is that Jesus came to save us because he loves people. Matthew also tells us a story about discipleship, about how we're to grow in Jesus and grow in our life to know him. And we'll, we'll unpack this more as we go through this. Let me show you one, one quick quote. Can I, can I nerd out and read you a quote from a commentary? Don't care what you say. This is, from, this is from Matthew Wilkins, and he wrote a commentary in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, Matthew, the, the, the gospel, addresses a church that is representative of the emerging Christian community of faith. It transcends ethnic, economic, and religious barriers. Do you know the other day, when I, when I looked at the news on my phone, most of the news I read about had something to do with issues in ethnic, economic, and religious barriers. Anybody else notice that? He says it transcends that to find oneness and adherence to Jesus the Messiah. He says that his gospel becomes a manual of discipleship to Jesus as Jew and Gentile alike form a new community in an increasingly hostile world. Anybody ever felt like you're living in an increasingly hostile world? Then I need Matthew to help me to be discipled and to grow to know Jesus more. It's, it's critical. Matthew 28, verse 19 tells us this. Jesus says, his instructions to the disciples, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We took a page right out of the playbook today, didn't we? Watching these people be baptized, stating their discipleship and what God has done in their lives, it's awesome. We celebrate this, not because Matthew's a book about discipleship, but also Matthew tells us a story of mission. We are on mission. We get to do this. Chad, why are you nerding out about all these themes? Because this 2,000-year-old book has never been more relevant than today. And when you and I unpack this over the course of the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years, we are going to have our lives changed because it's not just some old book, it's living and active today. That's why today I wanna to tell you three stories about one savior. I wanna tell you the story of Jesus and I wanna tell you Matthew's story and the third one is your story. I wanna to talk to you about your story and the best way I know to talk to you about your story is to is to tell you Matthew's story. Not the one he tells about Jesus, but the one he tells about himself. Matthew's story about himself. He lists himself twice in the gospel. He mentions his name in chapter 10 when he gives a whole list of the disciples. And he refers to himself as Matthew the tax collector. Or if you've got a King James Version, Matthew the publican. That's in Matthew chapter 10. We should get there about 2028, 20, 2029. Something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll just remember that. We'll get there. But in Matthew chapter nine, he tells his story, and what I want you to see is how his story impacts your story. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, says as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew refers to himself as a publican or a tax collector. And if you can imagine, tax collectors were about as popular then as they are today, right? Matthew tells this story, and there's some things in this story that I don't want you to miss. 
Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He saw him, and Jesus saw Matthew, and I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And you say, Chad, why is that such a big deal? Of course Jesus saw him, he walked by him. He did, but he did it in a time and place where everybody else who walked by Matthew was trying not to see him. They were trying not to look at him. If they walked by him, they certainly weren't gonna make eye contact, and if they did, they would just give that little side eye. Anybody ever got side eye? Why was that? Let me tell you about a tax collector in the first century. If you were a tax collector, you were on the same level socially as a harlot. And a Jewish man like Matthew, if he was a tax collector, it was even worse. Because if you as a Jew said that you were gonna collect taxes from other people who were Jewish, you made yourself a traitor to your nation, you were a social pariah, you were a religious outcast, you were forbidden to enter the synagogue. The only friends you could have were the riffraff of society because other people wouldn't associate with you. So you had to be friends with criminals and hoodlums and prostitutes and the like. If you were a tax collector, not only did people not want to look at you, they just didn't even wanna be around you. And so when people walked by and they saw Matthew sitting in his booth, the last thing they were gonna do was make eye contact with him, except for Jesus. Because as Jesus walks by, <laughs> it says he saw him. It doesn't say he just looked at him, it says he saw him. Do you know the difference? Like I know what it's like when somebody looks at me and I know when somebody actually sees me. Jesus saw him when no one else would look at him. Saw him when no one else wanted to even acknowledge him. And Jesus, it says, saw him. And Jesus sees you. Because some of you know what it's like to sit there and go, I feel like nobody sees me. I feel like nobody cares. I feel like my life doesn't even matter. Or some of you have this sense where you just, you go, why would anybody wanna look at me? Because I know what I've done, and they know what I've done. And that's put me in a place where I know what they're thinking. Or maybe even worse, for some of us, we know what we've done, but we know that nobody else knows what we've done, and so that plays in our head, because they say, if they really knew who I was, then... <laughs> And we start having these voices that come to us that tell us that nobody cares and that we don't matter and we can't be loved and that nobody sees us. And whether these voices come from people who have actually spoken things to us or whether these voices come from our head ourselves, the enemy of our soul wants to use those voices and he wants to whisper to you, your life doesn't matter, you're not important, nobody cares, nobody sees you. And can I tell you, right here today, just like Matthew, Jesus sees you. He sees your story. He knows where you're at. And he doesn't turn his head and he doesn't give you that messianic side eye. He sees you. And then watch what he does next. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, same verse. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Follow me. He says to Matthew, the tax collector, which does not make any sense. 
Because if you're a tax collector, the last thing you should be is probably in a group. People kept their distance from a tax collector because they were so hated. The Jewish Talmud, which is kind of a commentary from, from ancient Judaism on the scriptures, teaches people that if they want to be righteous, get this, if you want to do the right thing, if you want to be righteous, you should try to lie to and deceive tax collectors because that's what you should do for someone who is a professional extortioner because that's how a tax collector was viewed. A tax collector in that day and time would have had a little bit of a, of a legitimate job, right? Because their job was, if you're a tax collector, to go out and to collect taxes for the Roman Empire. The emperor empowered them. In fact, you could kind of like buy a franchise to be someone who was a tax collector. I was trying to explain that on Thursday night. And I was like, you buy a, a franchise, like a, I don't know, like a, like a McDonald's, and somebody right up there yells, Chick-fil-A. Took me a half an hour to get people's minds back on Jesus. <laughs> Fortunately for me today, it's Sunday, so that's, that's good. But this guy is a tax collector, right? That's his job. So the Roman Empire says that he has the license to go to someone and say, hey, you owe me taxes, so you pay them. There was a legitimate amount that they would pay that would go back to the emperor, but the emperor also said, hey, tax collector, take whatever you want. As long as I get what I want, you do whatever it takes to get what you want. And they turned a blind eye to anything that might be extortion, anything that might be criminal, anything that might be unneeded. And so what would happen is the tax collector would go, hey man, you owe me taxes for the emperor and then you owe me taxes as well. And the tax collectors would get very wealthy, but they were extremely hated. And there were different kinds of tax collectors, some that worked way up in headquarters and some that worked in different levels. But it says that Matthew was one who sat in the booth which means he's the joker you have to deal with face to face. And so of all the different kinds of tax collectors, he was the bad guy. He's the messenger when you shoot the messenger. He's the guy that everybody hated. He was the worst of the worst because he was the one you would have to interact with. So the last guy you wanna invite to your party is Matthew. And Jesus says, follow me. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember eating in the cafeteria in school? and you're walking in for lunch, and you're walking in with your buddy, and you're gonna sit at the table with your, with your normal crew, and your friend sees somebody that normally wouldn't sit with you, and they go, hey man, do you wanna sit with us? And my initial response is, no, they don't. <laughs> I'd rather they didn't. You didn't mean to invite them, did you? Because you know who they are, you know what they're like, or you know what they did, or you know how they smell, or you know where they're from. And that moment when your friend says, hey, come and sit with us at the table, and you're like, that's the last dude I want sitting with us at lunch. And as Jesus is walking along with his posse, all of a sudden he looks at Matthew and says, follow me. And they're like, Jesus, that's the last guy you want sitting at your table for lunch today. And yet Jesus says, Matthew, I'm calling you. And can I tell you, in the same way that Jesus called Matthew, Jesus calls you. He not only sees you, but he sees great purpose in your life. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what you think you've done, no matter how you feel about those things, even if someone would think that you were like, like this is the Greek word, like a scumbag like Matthew, Jesus loves you. And when he sees you, he doesn't feel sorry for you. He calls you to come with him because of the great value and purpose he sees in your life. 
He sees you. He calls you. Go back to the story, Matthew 9, 9. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew, the scumbag, Matthew, the outcast, Matthew, the worst of the worst, got up and followed Jesus. When Jesus sees you and he calls you, Jesus changes you and he brings forgiveness and he brings purpose and he brings life. And 2,000 years later, we're reading the book that Matthew wrote. John MacArthur in his book called 12 Ordinary Men gives a profile of the different disciples. His opening line about Matthew, and I'd never thought about this before, his opening line is this. He says, in all likelihood, none of the 12 was more notorious a sinner than Matthew. Of all the 12 that Jesus called, there was probably no more notorious a sinner than Matthew. When you crack your Bible open and you read the book of Matthew, you're reading the book written by the bad boy of Jesus 12. Because Jesus changes you. What if Matthew had said, ah, you know, Jesus, I've heard about you. I think you're pretty cool and all that, but man, I got it made here. Everybody hates me, but I got plenty of cash. I mean, I'm miserable, but I'm, but I'm doing great. I don't know if I want to follow you. If he had said that and stayed where he was, we wouldn't know his name. We wouldn't know his story. But even more, he wouldn't have known salvation and grace and peace and joy and forgiveness and life. But he did. Why? Because Jesus not only changes you, Jesus changes you when you follow him. So my encouragement to you, what I want to challenge you with is three stories about one savior. Jesus' story tells us about the greatest life that ever lived. And Matthew's story tells us that that story that we're about to do a deep dive in has never been more relevant to our lives than today. And when we look at Matthew's encounter with Jesus himself, it tells me that for your story, your life can be one where Jesus sees you and he calls you and he changes you if you're willing to get up and follow him. Remember I told you that we, we, don't, we don't know for sure the names of those who wrote the gospels because they didn't put them in there, how Matthew, Mark, Luke, John didn't write their own names in there. And I think in part it's because, and scholars believe this, that they weren't sending them out to places where they weren't from. Like when Paul wrote to Ephesus, he had to write to Ephesus and say, hey guys, it's me, Paul. But the belief is that when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their gospels, they weren't sending them out to strangers that lived hundreds of miles away. They were literally standing in front of the church that they were a part of and saying, guys, can I tell you the story that I found out about Jesus? Matthew and John in particular, they're not historians, they're eyewitnesses. Like they were there for everything that they write about. And so Matthew stood in front of the church that he was a part of and he read account after account about the life of Jesus because he was saying to them, guys, I want to introduce you to my friend Jesus. And I don't want you to miss how great he is and what he can do in your life and he can change you. I want you to know Jesus like I do. And so that's why he wrote that book. There's something powerful about an introduction from a friend. I, I was so thankful that when Rhonda and I were out of town last week, that Pastor Bill McGinnis was able to be here last week. Wasn't that a treat? And uh, absolutely. 
we actually got in late Sunday. And so Monday, I was able to hang out with him a little bit. He came in and shared with our staff. It was just really cool. And I kind of missed being here when he preached, but I was, I was on the beach, so I got over it. And because uh, Ron and I had a couple of days where we were able to, to relax, and we had, we had gone out of town, actually, because oh, a couple months ago, I got a text from a friend. And he said, hey, man, would you like to come to a leadership event? Well, I've been to a bunch of leadership events over the years. And, and I don't know, more times than not, they, they over-promise and under-deliver. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's like, oh, it's right after Easter. I don't know that I want to leave town. I don't know that I want to do this. And I don't want to go to something else I'm just going to be disappointed about. So I'm like, I don't know. And the guy said, well, this is going to be kind of a small event. It's going to be a small group of people. And we're, we're going to sit. And who's going to lead it? Who's going to teach? Is a guy named John Maxwell. Have you ever heard of John Maxwell? John Maxwell is like, because he was a pastor who, who for the last 25, 30 years has been considered the, the leading leadership expert in the world. No one, it's a proven fact, no one has written more books on leadership than John Maxwell. He says he sold over 36 million books. And so when I was a young guy, I mean, you're like, well, you're young now. I know, thanks. But when I was younger, some of the very first books I read that caused me to, to think, oh, there's, there's something to being able to help others to, to see what could be ahead were the writings of John Maxwell. So I was impacted by that, and I was like, oh, well, I might be interested in that. Sounds like a really cool opportunity. He says, yeah, and on, on Tuesday night, the first night, we're all gonna have dinner at John's house. And I was like, oh, are we now? Because if you sell 36 million books, I bet you got a house, and you do. So we went, it was cool. I, I, got to, I got to eat dinner in John's house. We sat the next day, like for, I call him John now. For six, for six hours, he just taught and poured out and it was really cool. And we got to go and, and he, he, he took a picture with us and he signed a book for us and he said, he said, hey, nice to meet you, Chad. He said, Chad, he said my name. I was at his house, I saw his bathroom. I'll flush that all out for you later in private. Like, like uh, so I did there, like the, yeah. So like, like, it was a really cool experience. And I was so thankful that my friend introduced me to somebody who's actually been quite meaningful in my life. If John Maxwell walked in this room right now and walked up to me, you know what he would say? Nice to meet you. <laughs> he wouldn't remember my name. He wouldn't remember my face. He wouldn't remember that I just picked out at his house. His words have impacted my life. But in the end, eh, I'm so thankful that my friend said, Chad, would you like to meet John Maxwell? Because it was super cool. But 2,000 years ago, Matthew stood in front of the church that he was a part of. And he said, friends, let me introduce you to Jesus. He doesn't just know your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He doesn't just remember your face. He made it. And no matter what you think about it, he really loves it. And these words won't just inspire you to be a better leader. If you'll let them, they'll change your life. So let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? The story of Jesus tells us that there's never been a life more important in all of human history. And the story of Matthew that he wrote about Jesus tells us that these truths are more important today than they've ever been. And your story can be changed if you'll let Jesus, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, see you, call you, change you. 
And today I want to introduce my friend to you. I'm gonna pray and the team's gonna lead us in a song we sang just a few moments ago. It says that there is no other name. And as we sing this, if today you need to know Jesus better, would you just simply say, Jesus, I need you. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for how you lead us. Thanks for how it teaches us. Thank you for how it changes us. There's no other name than the name of Jesus. So Lord, would you help us to be changed by, to be open to, to hear your voice calling us in Jesus' name, amen. So lift up our eyes, see the King has come. Oh, the light of the world reaching out for us. And there is no other name, there is no other name. Jesus Christ, our God. Oh, won't you sing it with the seated? Seated on high, we are defeated one. Oh, the mountains bow down. today like thanks for um sticking with us because we worship the lord with all our hearts and we celebrated baptisms and what god is doing in people's lives and we had a little family talk and we looked at the scriptures and you let chad nerd out a little bit and we talked about matthew's life what we're about to do in the next 90 seconds is the most important thing we'll do all day so i'm asking you just to bow your heads and close your eyes this room a two online television listen to the podcast I believe in every one of those places the Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody's heart right now because you know deep down inside that your life is there's, a, there's an emptiness somewhere there's an unfulfillment there's something you're missing and you, you resonated with Matthew's story that he was seen that he was called that he was chosen, that he was loved, and his life was changed. And you would say, Chad, today, I need my life changed by Jesus. It's that simple. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, just wherever you're at, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Jesus, I need to give you my life today. Thanks, 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 thanks. Wow, thanks. Anybody else? Jesus, I give you my life. Here's a second question. For some of you, it's not a matter of Jesus. I need to 
give you my life, I need to give you my life again. Because I realize that I've let things, relationships, decisions, temptations, sins, people, whatever it is, come between me and you. And Jesus, I don't want that distance to be there. And so today I say, Jesus, I not only need to begin a relationship with you, today I need to begin again a relationship with you, Jesus. And I again give you my life. If that's you right where you are, you raise your hand, you say, God, I need to give you my life today. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. This room, bunch of hands, thank you. One more question. Maybe you say, Chad, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've forgotten just how special this story is. And I don't want that relationship to grow cold. And so I say today, Jesus, would you help me to know you in a fresh and new way all over again? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Jesus, I wanna know you in a whole new way. If you are a follower of Jesus, or if today you say you wanna be, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sins. I ask today that you would forgive my sins and be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you are not with us in the room, but you're watching or listening to this somewhere and you just prayed that prayer, I wanna encourage you to go out to our website. There you'll find a link that just says Jesus at ToledoCalvary.org. Click there, we would love to celebrate with you what God has done. If you're here in the room today and you prayed that prayer for Jesus to become your savior, your Lord, right after service, we're gonna have a collection of friends that are just kinda down here that would love the opportunity to pray with you. We have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible that you can easily read and understand, We'd love to put that in your hands. Maybe you're even just here today and you say, man, I just wish somebody would pray with me about this. Please stop by. If it runs through your mind that you go, maybe I should stop and talk with or pray with somebody, don't talk yourself out of in Auditorium 1 or Auditorium 2 the most important thing that you might be able to do in these next few moments to pray together with someone. Let's pray. Father, so glad for what you've done in our lives today. God, thanks for your word. Lord, would you continue to speak to us? Would you continue to show us who you are? And Jesus, that your story would change and become our story as we look to you. Now, God, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.